Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We're talking about uh, God's plan for our families and marriage and in uh, relationships with our children and parenting and all of those different things. And we know that the Bible says plenty about all of that. And so we're really excited to get to kind of peel back the layers and really kind of explore what God has for us there. Um, And today we're going to start by talking about God's plan for marriage. And we're just going to start right at the very beginning. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 15 here in just a couple of moments. But before we really dive into the subject today, before we really get into the subject of marriage, I know just by saying that the message today is about marriage, there is a level of tension that kind of fills the room, right? Because I know that in a room this large and this diverse that there are so many different uh, relationship statuses in the room, right? I know that we've got, uh, probably statistically speaking, probably a lot of married people in the room. Um, I know that we've got some people that have been married for 50 years, and you should probably be up here telling us how to make a great marriage work, um, because you love your marriage, and and you're living the dream, and then there's others of you that you've been married 50 years, and you're hating the dream, right? And you're living the nightmare. Uh, Some of you have been married for a a, a while. Some of you are divorced and remarried. Some of you are divorced and not remarried. Some of you are single. Some of you are engaged. Some of you are single and ready to mingle. Some of you are single and like, there's nobody around. I'm not interested right now. Uh, And so I know that that kind of spreads the gamut. And so here's what I want you to know, what I, what I feel like we need to start with this morning as we talk about God's plan for marriage is to realize that every single individual in this room, that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life, and part of that plan for your life, I completely believe, is to be here this morning hearing God's word. And so if that's, you know, however that connects with you today, I'm just praying that God speaks to you that way and shares his plan because God has great intentions, great plans for marriage, for your marriage right now, or if you want to get married, your future marriage, there is a reason for marriage, and we're going to discover that this morning. And so here's what I want to do real quickly. Uh, I want uh, any of the the couples, the married couples in the room, this is a couple skate, couples only on the floor right now. Um, Some of you are young enough to not even understand the skating reference. And it just makes my heart so sad that you will never know the joy of couple skate. But... If you're here with your spouse, I want you to hold hands, hold hands with your spouse, interlocking fingers, not middle school dance, all right? Interlocking fingers, look lovingly into their eyes this morning and tell them this, say, I married you for a reason. And it's not just because you're hot. Go ahead, say it. (laughs) It's not the only reason. It's one of the reasons, but it's not the only reason. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, we're going to take a look at the creation story today and the very first wedding, the first marriage that was instituted by God himself. And so verse 15 starts out like this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let's jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. 
The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why. Everybody say, that is why. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and it is active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I pray that your word today would pierce our hearts, that it would bring conviction and that it would bring um, uh, peace to our hearts and to our lives. God, I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for marriages to be restored, to be healed, and to be strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess if I'm going to sit up here and talk about marriage today, I should at least give you my marriage credentials um, and tell you some of the facts. I've been married for 12 years uh, to my beautiful wife, and we made two really cute kids. Um, and, um, and I would love to tell you that our story is like one for like the storybooks, like a romance novel. It's, it's just not. Like I would love to tell you like the first second that we met. Like I love hearing those stories from other people. I was listening to somebody talk about when they met their wife for the first time. They were just telling a story recently. And, um, and, and the guy actually walked up. This is, this is some, some bravado here. But he walked up and he said, hi, my name is so-and-so. What are we going to name our kids? Like that's the best line. Ever. And so he just knew first sight, first meeting, like boom, like the sparks flew and that was it, and they're still married today. I would love to tell you that that was kind of our story, except if I tried a line like that on my wife, she would probably laugh me out of the room, right? But when we first met, there was no sparks. We are very, very different people, my wife and I, with very, very different personalities. I see some of you chuckling because if you know us at all, you know that could not be truer, right? I mean, Deanna, the first time I met her, we, we're, we're four years apart, and so I think I was about 21, and you were 17, and, and so there wasn't like anything even there, but the first time I met her, we were in a group of, of people and had some mutual friends, and I mean, I just knew her as this extremely energetic, bubbly, like just like energy, like producing person. I am none of those things, like not even close. Like it wears me out sometimes, just like just thinking about how energetic Deanna can be. And so back when, you know, like 20 years ago, that's like compounded from what she even is now. And so there was just so much energy and like our, our you know, our, we just could not be further apart in our personalities. And so there just wasn't that for me. Like, and, and then, um, you know, I'll be honest with you and, and, you know, she knows that I have felt this way before we um, started dating, but I, I was a little bit annoyed with Deanna sometimes because of that energy level just doesn't jive with my personality. And so there was some frustration there. And, and we kind of knew of each other, right? We knew of each other. But again, there was this age difference, which Deanna brings up all the time, this age difference between her and I. It's only four years. And now that's not a big deal, right? Now when you're in your 30s and 40s, whatever, it's not a big deal. But here's what Deanna does to mess with me sometimes is that like I'll hear a song come on and I'll be like, oh man, this Casey and JoJo song right here. I remember the year. Some of y'all don't even know about that, and that makes my heart sad too, man. <laughs> if you didn't couple skate to Casey and JoJo, what is life? But this Casey and JoJo song came out in 1998, and I remember that because it came out like right before our prom, and I danced to this at my prom. And she'll say something like, what, what, what year was that? 98. Oh yeah, how old were you? 18. I was 14. I'd be like, that's really weird and creepy. Stop doing that, please, right? <laughs> The, the, the younger you slide down that scare, the creepier it gets, too. And so we just leave it alone. It's okay, right? 
So very, very different people, very, very different personalities, and there were no sparks that were flying at the beginning of our relationship. In fact, uh, just a few years after the first time that we met, we were going to the same church. I was actually on staff. I was a youth pastor at the church, and she was a volunteer in our youth ministry because she's amazing with kids, and she did a lot of the same kind of stuff that she did with the kids for Teen Talent this year, and so I brought her on board. Uh, but that, that kind of frustration and annoyance, that level just built. In fact, it's funny that it's on the anniversary of Teen Talent because Teen Talent talent uh, 2004 in San Antonio. I believe I made the comment while we were on a river uh, boat on the San Antonio River that I would like to drown Deanna in the San Antonio River. <laughs> it's a really shallow river too. It would have taken like a lot of effort. Like I was serious about it. I don't know if you can fire a volunteer or not, but I, I was going to. I really was. I was going to. And then uh, God started dealing with Deanna's heart to go to school literally halfway around the world, literally. She went to Hillsong Bible College in Australia. And so she left, went halfway around the world, and I was, you know, back at home, and so many things had changed while she was there, all her. She changed all for the better. I stayed the same because, you know, what needed to change. Um, <laughs> Now, she, she did a ton of growing in Australia, and I did a lot of what she calls uh, mellowing out, I think, maybe. She says, you're really, really, uh, what do you say? Uptight, that's the word that she uses. There's a reason I blocked that one out of my mind, I guess. She says, you're really uptight, so I loosened up a little bit. She changed some, we both changed some, and, and it's amazing to me, and, I, and I, I tell that part of this story for a reason, that if you're in the room and you're single and you're looking, and you're like, there's nobody, nobody on the horizon. Like, there's nobody in the stratosphere that is relationship material at all. Just understand that in our story, Deanna was in Australia and I was in Florida. God was getting my heart ready. God was getting her heart ready for our relationship to start, and neither of us knew it. And so maybe that's happening for you. Maybe there's somebody somewhere, God's getting them ready, God's getting you ready, and maybe it's across the world, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it's the person in the other aisle, but God might be working on that, so have hope, have courage that that's going to happen for you. But when Deanna came back from school, we just started hanging out again. We had a ton of mutual friends, so we just were spending time together, and, and our friendship started to develop and grow, and, and it just, it, it, it ended up, I'm, I'm not... I'm not exaggerating this. I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I'm like, you're an idiot if you don't lock this down, right? And so I put a ring on it. We got married, made some kids, and that's the rest is history. And so um, we'll celebrate 13 years next May or next March. <laughs> yeah, get that wrong. That's, that's going to be good. Somebody else is going to need to preach about marriage now because I'm pretty sure I'm going to pay for that one. And our marriage has been absolutely perfect. No, it's not. Ups and downs, good times, bad times, rough patches. And here's what I figured out about marriage. Marriage is, is quite possibly the hardest and the best thing that you'll ever do in your life. And what I've figured out is that marriage is extremely, extremely powerful. If you're married in the room, you're going to understand, you're going to really track with this. This is going to make a ton of sense to you. Because when, when a couple, when a married couple, you're on the same wavelength, right? You're on the same page. You're communicating well. There's levels of intimacy there, and all of these things are just kind of clicking in your relationship. When that happens in a marriage, you feel like you could conquer the world. You feel like there's nothing that you can't do. You feel loved. You feel accepted. You feel, you know, all of those great emotions that come with that. That's how powerful marriage is. But on the other hand, 
when you're not seeing eye to eye and when there's conflict and when there's tension and when there's strife and when you let them down and they let you down and you're disappointed, you feel weak and you feel frustrated and you feel insecure, you feel off balance. This is the the power of marriage. And I believe that God created marriage to be this powerful on purpose. That was his plan, is for marriage to be powerful. You know, marriage is sacred, it's holy, it's God created, but marriage involves two people, and so it's flawed, and it's messy, and it's fragile, and because of that, we know what the divorce rates are in our country alone. 50% of the people that walk down the aisle are going to call it quits at some point. The statistics now that are flooding in from our younger generations are saying that less and less people are getting married and actually more and more people are just starting to live with each other because maybe of some of the baggage that they experienced around that term or that idea of marriage with their family or their mom and dad or their own previous experiences with marriage or whatever it is. And so people are just even pushing it back. Even, even this next generation, if they're going to get married, the statistics are telling us that they're, they're waiting longer and longer and longer. And some of that is because there are things that they want to accomplish. They want to be able to do some things before they settle down, quote unquote. But another reason is, is that they're just trying to figure out if marriage is even in the picture for them. And I believe that we live in a society where this is the reality all because either we forget or we never really understand God's plan and God's purpose for marriage. I I think that we know what marriage is, but do we really know what marriage is for? And I think defining that this morning can be kind of a, a foundational thing in our marriages and in your future marriage. And so today I want us to answer that question. What is marriage for? What is God's plan for marriage? And to do that, I think that we can look no further than our text this morning. Because even in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 24, when uh, the, the first three words of that verse kind of point to something, it says, that is why. Everybody say, that is why. That is why a man and a wife, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become flesh. That is why. Those three words mean something. It means that, okay, what's coming in this sentence is preceded by and defined by what has already happened previous to this sentence. And so when we want to get the context of what, what is the reason why, why would a man leave his father and mother and become one with his wife? Why did God create marriage? What is the reason? What is the purpose of marriage? What is it all for? We have to kind of go back a little bit, and there's not far to go back because you're in the second chapter of the Bible. And so as you kind of explore the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, you realize that God is creating everything out of nothing, and he's creating the heavens and the earth, and all of this is coming into existence for the first time, and then he creates all the animals, and then he creates human the masterpiece, right? He creates humanity. He creates Adam, and when he creates Adam, he sets him in the Garden of Eden, in this giant, vast land that is just like full of potential. It's just raw, right? And the the mandate from God is go and work the land, right? Work this. Make something of this. Essentially, God's saying, hey, I created all of this amazing stuff. Now, it's your job to take it from here. Go make some amazing things with the creation that I've handed you. And some of you, I see, the, I see some of the men in the, in the room, your eyes are lighting up. You're like, wait a second. So he was all by himself alone in the woods. That sounds like a dream come true, right? Just give me a gun and then we're there, right? But it was not exactly ideal for Adam, We don't find him flourishing in this environment. We find him alone with a huge job to do that's way bigger than one person could ever do. And we find him completely alone by himself. And so God creates Eve. God creates a woman. And so when he creates the woman and he brings them together, we have the first marriage. 
in the history of mankind, we have the first, essentially we have the first wedding in the history of mankind right here. Then I, I, get, a, I get a chance to do some weddings um, every once in a while, and, and I, I enjoy doing them because a lot of times it's, it's for people that I know very well, and so it's an honor to, to get to perform those weddings. And we do some premarital counseling with them a few sessions before the actual wedding date, and inevitably what ends up happening is the conversation turns toward wedding plans. And I, I hear people, these couples, talking about if you've been married recently, if you got married a while ago, it's, maybe you forgot about the stress. If you're going to get married soon, like you know the stress is very real. We know a couple that right now, they're like right in the middle of the plans of weddings, and it is, it is like stressful. I mean, you've got to find the location and the caterer. You've got to figure out what you're eating. You've got to figure out the dress. You've got to figure out what the guys are going to wear. You've got to figure out who you're going to invite. More importantly, who you're not going to invite. Can I get an amen? And then you're going to have to figure out, all right, if I offend that person, is it worth it to not have them at my wedding? Probably, but I'm going to have to invite them anyway. And then you have to, you know, all of this stuff is just kind of like, oh, man, it makes this stressful. And so maybe, ladies, if you're planning a wedding right now, maybe you're a little jealous of Eve because she didn't have any of that issue, right? First wedding ever. She didn't have to worry about a guest list. No guests, right? Didn't have to worry about picking a dress. No such thing as clothes yet, right? And so you don't have to worry about trying to plan a date because the officiant is God and he's pretty much always available, you know? And so this first wedding happens between man and woman, and we find that God created Eve, he created marriage. And with this marriage, we have the blueprints, the prototype, the schematics for what marriage is supposed to be. You see, God created this marriage not on an individual basis, and here's how I want Adam and Eve to function as a couple, and then we'll kind of adjust it as time goes on. No, this is the prototype. This is the example that God sets when he, in this perfect place, takes his perfect creation and creates marriage. And so we're going to look to that to figure out the reasons why God created marriage. What is God's plan? What was the reason for marriage at the very beginning of everything? Because that's going to shine light on our marriage today in 2019. And so there are some obvious answers in this context where there's two people, and they're the only two people, right? And God says, now be fruitful and multiply. There are some obvious implications of that with God of bringing two people together. I mean, do we need to be any more obvious? And so there is this context, and I don't want to trivialize, because marriage absolutely was created for sexuality and for procreation. It's all part of it. And in fact, it's the, it's the relationship that God ordains to be powerful enough to contain those things in that, in that relationship. But those are pretty obvious. Those are pretty intuitive, right? Though we know that, that that's some of the obvious reasons why God created marriage. Let's, let's maybe just kind of like go a little bit deeper beneath the surface and figure out because it can't just be about that. We can't just be about making, you know, the earth populated. It's got to be about more than that. And as we look in this text, we find that there is way more in God's plan and God's framework for marriage than just sex and making babies. And so let's take a look. Let's explore that a little bit. And so I want to find and pull out two reasons why God created marriage, two reasons that, that really kind of shine a huge light on the plan of marriage in God's eyes. And the first is this, is that it's to promote our calling. It's all about calling. You see, in our text, it reads that in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That was Adam's calling. Adam was placed in this world. He was created not just to lounge around, but God said, here's everything, now take care of it. This is your responsibility. This is your work. We were created to have some kind of calling in our lives. 
But God sees that it's too big for one person, and so the Bible says that, that he created a helper that was suitable for him. And in the Hebrew language, if you would kind of break that down a little bit, it, it, it refers way more to uh, like a partner than a personal assistant. Sometimes we kind of like get that a little bit out of whack. But God wasn't creating Eve just to, just to be this personal assistant for Adam. No, God was creating Eve as a partner. That's why there's a rib in this story that's taken out. It's beside, it's to come alongside of Adam. And what was Adam's calling now becomes this married couple's calling. It's for them together to take care of things and to make something out of this amazing creation. It's their calling now that they're joined together. And I want you to know that you have a calling. As an individual in this room, you have a calling. You have something that you were put on this planet to do that is unique and special to you. And God wants to use you. God has called you to do something with your life to advance, to impact the kingdom of God. And when you get married, essentially what God is saying through this story of Adam and Eve is that there is this calling that you have on your marriage as a couple for you to do something for the kingdom of God. Our marriages were not designed just for our marriages. Our marriages were not designed just for us to love each other and have feelings for each other and then maybe have some kids. That's not what it's all about. You see, part of God's design for marriage was to create this relationship where we can accomplish more together than we can by ourselves. And we've got to have a purpose for our marriage. We've got to have this calling. Some of the healthiest marriages that I know of have this in the very center of their relationship. They know why God has put them on the earth and they go hand in hand, arm in arm. And this plays out a ton of different ways. I know some people that, that for them, they feel like their calling is, is to get involved in the foster care and the adoption system and all of that. And so they, they, they walk that out that way. Some of them, they're starting nonprofits or they're volunteering in nonprofits. Some of them, they're mentoring young people or they're mentoring young couples or they lead a service team project or they serve here at DCC on Sunday mornings or they you know, give, they're generous with their, their giving and they give and they love to bless people, but whatever it is that God has called you to do, walk in that calling because God created your marriage specifically for a few different reasons, and one of them is to get work done for the kingdom of God. God created marriage for you to work together for a purpose way bigger than yourself, and so God created marriage not just for sexuality, not just for procreation, but for calling and then for companionship. So calling and companionship. In verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, all throughout the creation story, in Genesis chapter one, there is this, this refrain that happens. There is this line that comes over and over and over again. And so every time God creates something, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then the line that follows each one of those is that God saw that it was Good. And so there was something created, God saw that it was good. Something created, God saw that it was good. Heavens and the earth, God saw it was good. Land and the seas, God saw it was good. Animals and plants, God saw that it was good. Mankind alone in a garden, it's not good. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, the brakes kind of slam in the creation story, and everything is good except for humanity being alone in that garden. There was something 
wrong with that. There's something that was not good about that. And the reason that it's not good is that we are created, we're made in the image of God. We are God's image bearers, and God is a relational God. God desires a relationship with you and me so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we could have that connection, that, that relationship personally with a God who loves us that much. And, and, and even before that happened, God exists in this web of relationships called the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God is all about community. God is all about relationships. God is all about companionship. And so when he sees mankind there by himself, it's, it's, it's not good. We can't do that. And so as he creates Eve and they have this first small wedding ceremony, the way that God describes it and officiates this ceremony is he says, they became one flesh. And that word one in the Hebrew is echad. And when you combine the word echad with flesh, it kind of has this understanding, this meaning of being fused together at the deepest levels. Essentially, what God did in this first marriage is he kind of set this precedent that when two people get married, right, there is this fusing together on a very spiritual level that happens. We don't see it with our eyes, but we, we understand this. We, it it kind of clicks, it kind of makes sense, but there's something much deeper that happens. And so from that point on, God didn't have to worry about that man being alone anymore, or that woman being alone anymore. There was this fusing that happened, this companionship this friendship that was, that was born and that was birthed on a deep, deep level in the garden that day. And I can tell you that from my experience being married and, and understanding this concept of being fused together at a deep level, there is something unbelievably amazing about knowing someone better than anyone knows them and being known by someone better than anybody else knows me. There, there is something spiritual about being known there is a desire in every single one of our hearts this morning just to be known. That, that's why we try to find people and hang out with people and have friends that are like us because we want people to know what we're like. It's why we bond when you find out that somebody likes the same team that you do. There's an instant connection there. Okay, this person knows me. This person gets it. They probably listen to the same sports talk shows that I listen to. Or when you find somebody that likes the same bands that you do, or you find somebody that likes whatever it is that you enjoy doing, there's this like connection there because we want to be known. It's one of our deepest base level desires as humans. Human beings. And so when God fuses man and woman together on a base level, he's saying, listen, you're going to be known and you're going to know someone. And man, is there anything more miraculous than having your spouse who knows all about you still love you? Isn't that just basically a miracle, right? Your spouse knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly. They know all the great stuff that you do, but they see all the dumb stuff that you do as well, and then they still choose to love you. That's, I mean, if that doesn't point to a creator God, I don't know what does. But there's this, this idea of being connected and this companionship that is unrivaled in any other relationship. So the question here has to be, what does that look like in your marriage? Is there this, this component of companionship, of friendship, of relationship? In, in the middle of the chaos of your life, I get it, believe me, in the middle of the chaos of your life, of schedules that you have to keep, and jobs, and taking kids from practice, and you know, all the different stuff that has to happen, that, that base level communication that happens in a home just to keep it functioning and not coming off the rails. Can I get an amen? Deeper than that, is there any kind of connection that's happening in your relationship? Because you were created for that. Your marriage was created for that. But we have to work at it. 
We have to do something to, to bring that connection closer together. And so we've got to be vulnerable with each other. We have to talk. We have to listen. We have to designate time. We have to have date nights. Date nights is a non-negotiable for Deanna and I, and, and it's not any set time, any set day or anything like that, but it is semi-regular because our lives are just crazy. We both have full-time jobs. We have two small kids. The only way that we can make sure that we are keeping this connection is to pay somebody stupid money to come watch our kids, to go pay somebody stupid money to feed us at a restaurant and then maybe even pay somebody stupid money to watch a movie that I could probably watch on Netflix next month for free, <laughs> right? And so it's easy to justify, wow, we just, won't, we just won't do date night this week or we won't do date night this month or whatever, but it's, it's absolutely worth it because it gets us to this level where we can know each other, where I am known and she is known and we know each other. There's something very spiritual about that when that happens. If you're single in this room, I, I don't want this to come across like you better get married or else you're never gonna have community or connection with anybody. Now, if you're single in this room, and maybe even if you're single in this room and you're like, I'm fine being single. I don't really wanna get married, to be honest. I don't feel like that's part of my calling in life. You're in really good company. A guy named Jesus never got married, did a lot of great things. You're good. <laughs> but if that's, if that's you, you, you are also wired to be known, and so you're going to need to find that community of people around you. It's not just going to happen. It's built into a marriage relationship. You still have to work on it, but it's built in there. You're just going to have to work on finding the people that you can invite in and allow them to know you and for you to know somebody else. And so through this companionship and, and this calling, God's plan for marriage is way more about keeping our focus on God and our, our spouse's needs than it is on us. But let me tell you something. Can I give you a little secret that's not really a secret? If God loves marriage and God created marriage and he's got a plan for marriage, you can guarantee that the enemy of our souls, Satan, hates marriage. That if marriage is really powerful and when two married people really understand and get it, and they know what marriage is for, and they decide, okay, I do have a calling, and we're gonna make an impact in the kingdom of God, and we're gonna share this relationship, this, this kind of friendship that, that I'm not gonna be able to get anywhere else, and we're gonna be fused together, and we're gonna do some amazing things for God, and we're gonna be an example for his love. You can guarantee that Satan is gonna to try to derail that any way that he possibly can. And that points to the 50% divorce rate. That points to less and less people getting married because I feel like what Satan does best is not show up with a pitchfork and the shiny horns and say, hey, don't get married. No, what he does instead is he kind of wiggles his way in and he distracts us from our calling. He gets us so busy that we don't have time to connect with our spouse anymore and he loads our plate and he gets us all distracted and disconnected from our spouse. And when we do that, we stop thinking about the calling that God has on our marriage. We stop thinking about the companionship component of our marriage. And you know what we start thinking about? Ourselves. We start asking these questions like, am I really happy? Like, is that person making me happy? Is that person making me feel fulfilled? Is, is that person making me feel whole? And we start unbeknownst to our spouse, we start placing these expectations on our spouse that no human being could ever live up to because there's no human on the earth that can make you happy all the time or make you fulfilled all the time or make you whole all the time. What marriage is is two broken people coming together, right? Broken people can't make each other whole, but a perfect savior can. 
And so what Satan does is he tries to distract us and get us focused on ourselves. And when we're focused on ourselves, we lose complete sight of what marriage is really all about. Just in, in full transparency this week, um, Deanna and I had a, uh, some disagreements, I will say. Uh, you call them whatever you want to call them. If you want to read into that and say that it was a fight, I don't care what you call it. There was some, some friction and some tension in our marriage, right? And I can say this, like, I didn't ask her if I could say this, but I can say this because, like, 99% of it was on this guy right here, okay? 100% of it was on this guy right here. And... <laughs> Man, it was tense, and there was this kind of like, we're, like one of my spiritual gifts is passive aggressiveness, and that's not really a spiritual gift, don't look that up, but I'm really good at it. Like, if there was an award for it, I'm pretty sure I'd win every year, right? So there's just this like, you know, like that tension, and then you're in the same house, but it's like, you know, just like, it's like boiling under the surface of all the other stuff that you have to do, like to, to make sure that like a house functions kind of thing. So there's just kind of like this tension boiling all week, and it was just kind of like, oh man. And then it, it just hit me. It was like so obvious to me. I'm like, no joke, no joke that we've been clicking on all cylinders, and then all of a sudden there's, there's this tension in our relationship. And then I started thinking, wait a second, man, Pastor Rocky asked me to open up this series, and I'm preaching this weekend about marriage. Why would I be surprised that all of a sudden there's an attack on my marriage? Because there's, there's this opportunity to be able to speak God's word from this pulpit about marriage, and he wants to try to stop that at any cost, at any way that he can, and so if he's going to do that to me this week, preparing for this message, I can guarantee you that he's going to do it for you at any point, at any time, to try to derail you, to try to get you off focus, to try to, to make you think that your marriage is all about you. He gets us distracted, and we start focusing on ourselves, but God's plan for marriage is not about us. God's plan for marriage is to serve the kingdom of God and to serve your spouse. And there's this amazing passage of scripture that's been so abused over the years, but it's in Ephesians chapter five, and it's the whole uh, wives submit to your husbands and uh, husbands love your wife like Christ loves the church. And, and this passage of scripture is extremely powerful. We, a lot of times, read it um, you know, at weddings or during a marriage series like this, and, and we focus in on the marriage aspect, but essentially what's happening, and that is part of it, there is, there is some, some instruction in there for us. But, but what Paul, the wordsmith, Paul, the poet, Paul, the guy who has so many of these phrases and these um, kind of illustrations throughout the New Testament that just really kind of hone in on our faith. When he is trying to sit down and write this letter to the church of Ephesus, trying to explain the, the love that Jesus has for us, the, the love that sent Jesus to the cross by his own doing, he elected to go to the cross for you and for me to pay it all for somebody that may or may not choose to follow him with their lives. Somebody that, to, to, to go to that extent in their life to, to try to reach us when he knew that we would mess up time and time and time again. That level of grace that was displayed as Paul is sitting down and inspired by the Holy Spirit and trying to, to, to try to figure out some kind of parallel. How can I help people understand just how much God loves us in this way? Marriage is the only relationship that makes sense. Marriage is the only parallel in that moment that makes sense because is there anything closer to the love of God here on this earth than when I do something stupid in my marriage and my spouse forgives me knowing that unintentionally I'm probably gonna do something stupid again and hurt her again. 
Is there anything closer than, than the display of the love of Jesus Christ than when you and I in our relationships and our marriages choose to stay committed and choose to make those marriages work and choose to love each other in spite of our faults? Is that not kind of the, the default setting for Jesus Christ himself, is to love even though sometimes that love's not reciprocated, to sacrifice for someone who he knows is going to make mistakes, to give his life for somebody who's going to continue to sin. You see, ultimately, God created marriage, yeah, for sex and procreation and this com community that you can have with another person, this companionship and for our calling. But ultimately, God created marriage to be a mirror of his love for us. God created marriage to be this, this shining example of what God's love is. And can I tell you what happens when all of that comes into focus for us as humans? Is that in our marriage relationship, when I choose to love my wife, if she hurts me somehow, then I am displaying a Christ kind of love. When she chooses to do that, she's displaying a Christ kind of love, and it's pulling us closer together, and it's pulling us closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what do you think that that does to the world outside that is living in this 50% divorce rate and looking for anything kind of close to a healthy relationship to base their relationship off of. Two people committed, loving each other in spite of all of those flaws, in spite of all those mistakes, making an impact for the kingdom of God and sharing their lives with each other. People can't help but see that, notice the difference, and there's some part of everybody that when we see that, we see God. We see God's kingdom in those moments. So God's purpose for marriage, his reason for marriage is not just so we can be happy. It's not to fix us. It's not even about us. It's about us serving God. And it's about us being connected with each other so we can be the example of the Jesus kind of love that we have been displayed in our lives. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.